Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Show, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I am Gary. And I'm Chris. And we are back for Original Versus Remake. It's that time of the month again. Yes, got so quick. And we are back of our second Wes Craven Original Versus Remake. As you recall, as you would recall, we did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I think it was at the start of this year for our first ever Original Versus Remake. Mm. And we're back now with The Hills of Eyes. Yes, and this is one of those strange incidents where, and it's not going to happen much on the podcast, but where we prefer the remake to the original. Well, now no one needs to listen to the episode. Spoiler alert. <laughs> what? We don't say that at the end. <laughs> well, we, well, yeah, but we usually, when we usually talk about films, we usually say that shit at the beginning, don't we? That's <laughs> true. But we're not the uh, we're not the only ones who think this, because we did our usual poll... And the original Hills of Eyes received 47% of the votes, and the remake received 53%. It's a close one. Yeah, and when, when we say we prefer the remake, it's not a case of it's much, 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 much better. You know, it, it's it, I, I find it's this slightly is, better, this is, I thought. I, I don't know. I mean, for me, this is a case of what we did with Fright Night and Nosferatu, but the opposite way around. Mm. Like... I think the, the the original is good. It's a good film. It's not a bad film by any means. It's a really good film. But the remake is... I find it far superior. And we'll explain why. So, starting off with some trivia. The Hills of Eyes was released in 1977. Directed by Wes Craven. Master of Horror. Uh, director of the likes of Scream. Last House on the Left. Uh, Nightmare on Street. And we don't mention that. And uh, this was made on a budget of two hundred and thirty thousand dollars, which uh, it shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a low budget film. So this this is often regarded as a horror classic, um, and whilst I, I just think it it is just a good film, I I you know I can totally see that you know it is uh, it, it's it's one of those that people know, um, so for me. You know, it, it kick-started something. There's been copycats. Yeah, of course. For, for 1977, it was highly influential. It pushed boundaries. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it pushed boundaries as hard as uh, Last House on the Left did. No. Which came five years previous to, to Hills of Eyes. But it definitely sparked something yeah. there. And, and of course, it spawned uh, a sequel. Which is supposedly not very good. But we, we, we might have to cover that. the sequel. Um, there was a, another sequel slash spin-off called uh, Mind Ripper. And uh. Uh, all, the, all these years later, obviously, we've got 2006 we had a remake, and the remake had its own sequel as well. Um, so this original film was originally called Blood Relations, but Wes Craven was forced to change to Hills of Eyes after it tested better. The Hills he of hated much better. He hated the Hills of Eyes title. You, that, that is one case of me disagreeing with Wes Craven. I think the Hills of Eyes is a much better title. What a great, Hills of Eyes is a great title. It is, it is. And I think that's another reason why it's so well known. I mean, I think you get a lot of people that know the name of the film and don't know the film. Oh, of course. Uh, he considered having the baby in the film killed. Uh, but the cast and the crew were completely against it and said they'd quit if he put that in the plot. Yeah. That's what's craving. He wanted to push boundaries. I yeah. Mean. Yeah, ba- baby murder. I'm not sure if those are the kind of boundaries no. we, we'd really want to see in a film like this. 
it, it's so strange that Wes Craven does stuff like this. So he wants to kill a baby in a film that he created Last House on the Left, which is so brutal that he, he, he directed some porn. It, it's really strange because he doesn't look like that type of guy. He looks like just a normal, nice guy. And, and by all accounts, he wasn't that kind of guy. No. He was very soft-spoken and very highly intellectual and... Yeah, people people were very surprised that he was a horror filmmaker. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the famous story is that he was sort of pushed against it anyway. He didn't really want to make horror films his whole career. Um, he d- he did... He only did Scream 3 so that he could do... Yeah, um, Music of the Heart. Music of the Heart, the, the Meryl Streep film, which is actually quite a good film. Um, but, you know, he just was really good at horror. Yeah. On, on, on the whole... He's got more sort of five-star classic horror films than many horror directors. Well, he's got three groundbreakers off the top of my head. Yeah, he's got he's got three horror films that he directed that really changed horror. Yeah. You know, Last House on the Left, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and Scream. Yeah. You know, the Last House on the Left hasn't aged probably as well as the other two, but those are three horror films that were, as they would say, a cultural reset mm-hmm. in terms of horror films. Yeah. You know? So there must have been something somewhere within him, you know, this mild-mannered guy that fought up all of these horrific ways to kill and torture people. Yeah. Well, uh, this was originally given an X rating, and uh, it, with the time when it was being released, would be nineteen seventy seven. That would have relegated it to the porn circuit. Yeah, uh, it wouldn't have made any money at all. So, uh, Wes Craven cut enough to secure an R rating, and the original director's cut no longer exists, which is very sad. Cause oh, okay. It'd have been interesting to have seen. What would have been cut? Yeah, because it is fairly mild. Yeah. By by today's standards. Oh god, you're watching next to the remake. It's like watching a fucking child's TV show. Yeah. It's, it's well, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was made as a homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, yeah. After Texas Chainsaw Massacre, any sort of backwards. Um, yeah. You know, desert or well. Southern uh, America. Wes Craven said though he did it on purpose. Like he he wanted to make this as a love letter. Oh okay. Because he he was such a big fan of the film. Yeah, you've got the crazy cannibal family. Yeah, I get it. There was uh, a real dead dog used um, for the oh. dead dog scene. Oh dear. Which he brought from the sheriff's department nearby. Bought. Yeah. Paid money brought, for. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> The auditions for Ruby were judged by a foot race. Okay. <laughs> well, that makes sense, though, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, there's not much acting involved, but there's no. quite a bit of running involved. Uh, the, the locations are really much like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Locations uh, and, and the settings of where, where this was being made were very rough on the casting crew. Uh, apparently it was hard to walk on, hard to run on. It was 120 degrees during the daytime, and then when it would be sunset, it it immediately dropped to 30 degrees. Oh, wow. Like, apparently it was really rough production. Uh, Rattlesnake actually escaped whilst preparing to shoot the uh, narrow mountain scene. Yeah, well, the the, the harsh sort of climate is very mm. similar to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. isn't it? 
Uh, CZ Lania Bramlett, I think that's how you pronounce her name, uh, who plays Brenda, her agent strongly advised against making this film uh, and going down the horror route, but she was a massive fan of the genre and of Wes Craven and uh, oh. said, fuck you, I'm doing it. There we go. And it's probably her most famous role. I'd say so, yeah. Was she, um, she was in the second pilot for um, Three's Company. Mm-hmm. Um, she was going to play, I think, Chrissy. Um, who was eventually played by Suzanne Summers, um, so I think she missed out on that and sort of went down the horror route. Yeah, do you know if she's done much horror since this? Is it? Is it I maybe? don't think so. I I I I believe if you went on IMDb, this would be her most known role. To be fair. Well, yeah, that that would make sense. I suppose. I I know I haven't seen her in Castle. No, no, no. And she was literally in a pilot of the Three's Company yeah. that was never ever shown. So Wes Craven was partly inspired by a motorcycle trip he took with his wife. When they stopped in a small Nevada town, a trio of locals shot arrows past his head, and when he threatened to sue them, they told him that they could kill him, leave his corpse in a salt mine, and no one would ever know. Oh. So it was part. Inspired by that, it was also based on the legend of the Bean family, uh, a feral clan who inhabited and roamed the highlands of Scotland's East Lothian County in the early 1400s. They captured, tormented and ate uh, some transients, seven transients, and was executed without trial. So that inspired the whole them being cannibals and, and inbreds and such, and then the whole revenge thing at the end. Yeah, that is essentially them being executed about trial. Yeah, that's true. But it was also um, it, it was also supposed to be a metaphor for class conflict and racism. Okay. Can you see that? Uh, to a certain degree. Um, I mean, we're meant to feel for the nice white family, though, aren't we? Yeah, partially. I mean... Big Bob wasn't exactly written to be a nice character, was he? No, he was no. clearly very racist. Yeah, he did say the n word. I, yeah. I, I, I think, I think he didn't delve enough into that for it to really come across as the mm. uh, social commentary. If I'm being honest, yeah, and I, I suppose you know, whilst you got your one unlikable one in the supposedly likable family, you've also got the one likable character in the unlikable family in Ruby. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, I mean, if you looked at it as those two characters, then maybe it'll be a little clear. But again, again, that's touching on what Texas Chainsaw Massacre was going for as well. Yeah. So I think that that's more Wes Craven leaning towards trying to... I just, to I just don't know how you can make a film and say it's about racism, but only have white people in the film. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're going to say something about racism, you know... Put some black people in the film. Give them a payday. Give them a check. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything otherwise. I mean, as far as class conflict, though, that's a little more clear. Than yeah. The side yes, of, of course. Yeah, the whole class. But the, but then again, you know, are we meant to? Are we meant to feel for the family? The only one that we feel for is Ruby. Mm. But in terms of the cannibal family, all the rest are scum. Yeah. We're meant to think they're scum, and they get their just desserts. Well, I mean, as I said in Trevor, origin originally supposed to be. Yeah. So I, mean, I don't know whether he didn't touch on it as much as he wanted to. Um, yeah. But, 
Yes, so uh, it was originally set in a forest in set in nineteen ninety four, so many years in the future at that point, uh. with adolescent cannibals and a baby was used for a perverted religious ritual. Fucking hell, West Craven! Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> you have to go over the top with it, mate. Uh, I think you really wanted people to notice this films. Um, and, and as we know, as we watched ourselves yesterday, the original ending had the survivors reuniting, but Wes Craven, Mr. Old Bleak himself, he swapped it for a more bleak ending, a more abrupt ending. Uh, for the better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after watching the original ending, it's just, yeah. Glad the, he, yeah. The alternative ending is a little too um, cheesy. Yeah. Yeah. So that brings us on to 2006. Uh, the Hills of Eyes, directed by... Now, I've heard two ways of pronouncing his name, so I'm going to say both. I've heard it's Alejandro Aja, uh-huh. but I've also heard it's Alexandra Aja. Oh, Alejandro. Al- so you guys know who we're talking about now, so I don't <laughs> say his first name again. He directed... He's a, he's a master of modern horror in his own right. He, you know, he has made some great films... Um, He's one of the more imaginative minds in modern horror. Yeah. Um, in that, he, he takes things that aren't so imaginative, but puts his own spin on them, which is exactly what he does with this remake. Yeah. He directed um, Switchblade Romance, which I think is his best film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, extreme French horror film. Piranha 3D. That's not terrible. It is what it is. Horns. I've seen Horns is good. And Crawl. Oh, Daniel Radcliffe. It is, yeah. Uh-huh. And Crawl. Crawl. <laughs> Which one was Crawl? Crawl was the oh, alligator crawl, one. Oh, Crawl, the alligator one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. That wasn't so great. It was alright. That would be his worst film. It's not very memorable. No. Hence why I just struggled to remember it. Uh, this was made on a budget of 15 million. So, a massive budget compared to the original. Um... And it made over seventy million at the box office. It's very successful, mm. and I think this brought a new audience to the Hills of Eyes because, like I said, I mean, I'm sure people wouldn't know the name and not known the film, but you know, how many people would have even known about the original until this came out? I think at the end of the day, the Hills of Eyes needed a remake. It did, yeah, and it's what that's a very rare instance that you see yes. a film that needs a remake. It it re- actually really needed a remake because it was a good story. And, it just needed, you know, to to be better. Let, let's yeah. be honest, it just it didn't quite work and it didn't age very well. Mm. Uh, the original. Um, and so it came around to 2006 when we're getting all these remakes and, you know, they actually got it right and said, actually, this is, you know, Wes Craven. Um, it's not a classic film. I'm assuming they said this. If I was there, I would have said this. Uh, Wes Craven, it's not really a classic, but obviously we still remember it because it's in Wes Craven's filmography. Yeah. Let's remake that and give it... A little more oomph, you mm. know, which were, they were perfectly capable of and, and which they succeeded with. Yeah. And it was released at a perfect time as well because you've got... I mean, with the 2000s, they really weren't the best time for horror. No. And you needed something like this to stand out um, amongst other films. 
and, and the fact that it, I think it pulled a bigger crowd because it was released in the midst of the torture porn phase. So obviously people were going to watch horror films to watch loads of gore. This yeah. isn't a torture porn film, but it has a lot of fucking gore. Yeah. Yeah. So it you know it appealed to everybody. It appealed to older horror fans that you know wanted to see Hills of Eyes remade, and then it appe- appealed to the more modern audience who were just watching it as a new horror film. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that's how it became a success. So this was a uh, this film contains photos of uh, mutations, which we assume are photos of the uh, mutants in the film when they're younger. In fact, it was photos of mutations from birth defects caused by Agent Orange in Vietnam. Oh. So they're real photos. I don't know if I like that. Yeah. I, su- I suppose it brings a bit of realism yeah, to Yeah, it brings awareness. They wanted to go for a more realistic approach and like Chernobyl and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um. Obviously, the original was just a bunch of inbred cannibals. This is mutations. Yeah. Uh, Ted Levine's in this, previous star of the podcast. Ted Levine got old. Um, yeah. Well, what are you looking at? 15 years after... Yeah, uh... it was very jarring. We only watched Silence of the Lambs again the other week and watching him in that, him in this, like, fuck me. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like two different people. But Which it... is what acting's about, Yes, yeah, and it? he's as great as ever. It, all his actions and his lines were almost all improvised. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, which is impressive. He's not in it a lot, but it's impressive. Yeah. Uh, Wes Craven, this is his idea to make this film. He wanted to make a remake of Hills of Ice after the success of Amateurville Horror, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and he wanted Aja specifically because he's a massive fan of Switchblade Romance. Oh. Also, if anyone's hearing Switchblade Romance and not recognising it, it's also known as High Tension. Yes, or Hort Tension. Or Hort Tension. Uh, Wes and the producer Peter Locke wanted this filmed in the original locations, but there's been things built on the original locations now, so they're not available anymore. Oh. Very sad. I know. Capitalism. The uh, the scene with the gun pointed at the baby. They had great difficulties with that scene because uh, the baby kept wanting to play with a gun. Oh dear. (laughs) And uh, much like how the original had troubles with its rating, this originally was threatened with an NC seventeen. Yeah. And it had two minutes cut for an R rating and. The version we watched would be the unrated version. So the NC-17 version essentially is out there now. Um, because in America, I believe, when they do their unrated cuts, they, they can literally just release the film on home video. Yeah. Unrated. Yeah, I suppose so. So that is the version that exists now. Um, which, yeah, I mean, e- even for the torture porn phase, that's, that's quite extreme, being threatened with an NC-17. Yeah, it might have been the censor's reaction to the torture porn mm. uh, craze. Um, I mean, Hostel was two years before, wasn't it? It was, yeah. When was, um, God, Human oh, Centipede? No. So Hostel would have been a year before. Saw was two years before. Right? Human Centipede would have been after, I think. Okay. Or the same year, maybe. Oh. And uh, Jupiter was originally going to have a uh, parasitic twin coming out of his chest. We would have been good special effects for that. Yeah. They would have managed that, that is one thing this film does right. It has some great special effects. Yeah. And uh, finally, when looking for an actor to play Doug, they were looking for someone who could resemble Dustin Hoffman in Straw Dogs. And I think they succeeded. Yeah, the straw, it, it 
Strollux is a fantastic film if anyone watches it. Um, very similar themes of, um, you know, hoodlums uh, breaking into his home um, and him fighting back. Um, and there's, there's a scene towards the end where Doug um, has the glass... Uh, Glass on his glasses smashed. Mm-hmm. And that's a direct reference to Straw Dogs. Yeah. I'd recommend Straw Dogs. Fantastic film. Okay, so would you like <laughs> to... But we're talking about The Hills of Eyes Would now. you like to give us a synopsis of the original? Yes. So I made notes whilst watching the original. Um, so this is kind of my thoughts as I go. Just a little disclaimer. Um, I'm terrible with names awful with names as you know if you've listened to any of the episodes so please forgive me they're all sort of described by the way they look yeah are you ready for that you can is this your first episode you can (laughs) you can help me along gary yeah so we open to an old man running a gas station in the desert out in the middle of nowhere and uh he's deciding to get away um, he's with this, this girl appears, a uh, very scruffy, dirty looking girl. Um, and he wants to get away from the place. She wants to join him, but he won't let her. A family with a caravan pull up, uh, what we call caravan trailer. Yes. Trailer. Um, pull up to the, for gas on their way to California. They want to do some sightseeing in the desert, but the old man tries to warn them off of it. The family leave and the old man's car is set ablaze by the scruffy girl's um, scruffy brother. <laughs> Going down to scruffy. Uh, it's not long until the family are lost because they're fucking idiots. And after swerving a rabbit in the middle of the road, they crash into a bush and get stuck in the middle of the desert. The recently retired ex-cop father of the family casually drops the N-word. <laughs> And we find out they're being spied by a weirdo who likes the look of the youngest daughter. The oldest daughter finds and squishes a big spider in the trailer. Um, Her husband makes her do everything. Like, grab my jacket. Mm -hmm. Can you hold this? All that. The father and son-in-law go to find help after the mother makes them pray. (laughs) She does. She does. (laughs) the the gay son is left in charge at the trailer. He is he is pretty camp, and to be fair, the actor uh, was gay as well. And he and does not shows. mention fancying women at any point, so no, he is a gay character. Yeah, and we're introduced to he's wearing some very short shorts, isn't he? Yeah. And does a little cartwheel and backflip. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. He's a 70s Kylie Minogue. Yeah. So at the trailer, the youngest daughter whines an awful lot. The son suggests his mother is obsessed with rattlesnakes because she loves cock. True. <laughs> they all laugh about their dog killing a poodle. <laughs> One of their dogs runs off into the hills with the son, fo- the gay son following. The dog finds someone, attacks them, but is killed off screen. The son goes searching and finds the dead dog. The son is... <laughs> The son is chased and eventually falls off some rocks. The mum and the oldest daughter try the radio but get weird breathing in return. The mum says, 
to the daughter after she says, is it just shit? So you never used that lang- language before you moved to New York City. <laughs> <laughs> the youngest daughter goes... Sir. She just got accused of loving cock and she's had nothing to say about that. <laughs> That's true, actually. <laughs> um, it goes dark suddenly. Quite suddenly goes dark. Uh, the young daughter goes searching in the pitch black and finds the son fine with just a cut to his face. Uh, the father is at the old man's gas station. The old man shoots at him and then tries to hang himself. <laughs> the old man, after being saved, tells the father his life story. His son was born 20 pounds and as big as a, um, as big as a monkey... He came out sideways and tore his poor mother apart. <laughs> it was really hairy. <laughs> Very hairy too. Um, he, his son was crazy. And so the old man left him in the desert. And his uh, monkey son, uh, his hairy son, was uh, left uh, it, to start his own family. He, just, he grabbed a hooker from somewhere, didn't yeah. he? And just started a family. <laughs> Um, the old man is dragged through a window and beaten up by a very dirty looking man, which we find out later to be his son. Mm-hmm. Um, the father, father then goes searching for him and finds him stuck to a door, knife through his chest. Very much Bob. Oh, this is before Bob in Halloween. Yeah. 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 Hmm. What um, film did we watch the other day with the same thing? Oh, no, it's somebody pinned up by a knife. Oh, Zombie Flesh Eaters 2, wasn't it? Yeah. Or was it 1? Oh. oh it's, it, was, it was a Zombie Flesh Eaters film. I mean, Friday the 13th does the same thing. Yeah, please, well, please <laughs> So back at the trailer, the mother denies the weird breathing over the radio. Uh, <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> and then we see that a chain is cut on their trailer. The father tries to run back to the trailer as uh, he's taunted from voices in the dark. The father collapses and what appears to be the beginnings of a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that he's got a heart problems, so he just starts to sort of pass out on the floor. And the, the dirty man stands over and, and watches him. Uh, Mustache <laughs> son-in-law... <laughs> He did have a mighty moustache. The son-in-law has a big, mighty moustache. He looks like somebody. He looks like Sonny Bono. That's who he looks like. Um, He returns to the trailer. We don't know where he's been. Uh, But he's brought a load of shit back with him. Like rope and Mm -hmm. crap. He's been to some sort of trash pile or something. So the trampy girl from earlier, the uh, old man's granddaughter, seemingly... (laughs) is uh, eating some sort of cooked meat by the fire. And we find out from her mother that it's dog. And the mother says, maybe dog is too good for a runaway slut like you. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out that the father of the family, the the father of the nice, clean, blonde family, um, and the the dirty father, (laughs) Big Bob, Bob, um... The dirty man stuffs something furry in his mouth. I think it's a rat. And uh, starts to hammer stakes into his hands. The gay son is struggling to tell people what happened with the dog. (laughs) 
It's like, mate, it's not your coming out story. But, it, but he, he, he looks like he's having a tantrum. Well, he, find, he finds the fucking dead dog and decides not to tell anyone. Like, what the hell? Anyway. <laughs> uh, Mustache and D. Wallace go off. So you haven't seen much. D. Wallace plays the oldest daughter. Uh-huh. I mean, it's really seen much of her in the film. This is kind of before D. Wallace. This is before E.T. Yeah. Definitely. And before The Howling. So they go off to the car to shag, and they're not particularly subtle about it. No. Uh, but no one really bat- bats an eyelid. Um, as they're shagging, the car is drained of its petrol. The gay can... Uh, the gay can... <laughs> oh my God, Chris! The gay sir <laughs> can hear a didn't write What the fuck? He's not that unlikable. I didn't write. I didn't write the c word. The gay son can hear a dog and goes off to find him. So I was well confused at the beginning because the dog runs off and gets killed. But I didn't realise that the other dog ran off as well. So when he's going to find this dog, I was like, what dog are you trying to find? Stop laughing. <laughs> I'm not open it. I didn't even say the fuck. <laughs> uh, uh, he's taunted by the... Um, uh, do you know what? I've had about 20 different names for these people. By the, uh, I'm going to call them cannibals from now. Even though we never actually see them eat in human flesh. Um, but he's taunted by the uh, cannibal family. So he returns to the trailer. He can hear the sh- shagging. Uh, but he's <laughs> forgot his key and he's been locked out of the trailer. His mum and his sister are sleeping inside. Um... Oh, court film star Michael Berryman plays uh, a bold Pluto. Pluto. <laughs> uh, he plays the he's the bold one, isn't he? Mm-hmm. To be fair, um, he's holding the door closed from inside. So the gay son interrupts the shagging for the keys and finally reveals that the dog is dead. Uh, an explosion in the distance then occurs. Um, the uh, Michael Berryman has the young daughter at knife point, and we find out that the explosion was the father, Big Bob. Big Bob. So he's been crucified and then set ablaze. Mm-hmm. Um, mustache son-in-law extinguishes him, and the mother decides that it's not him for some reason. She's she in shock. That's not my Bob. Well, it just looks like the actor with. Like charcoal on his face. <laughs> anyway. Uh, um, so, Michael Berryman is joined by um, the uh, a dirty son. <laughs> so, I kept getting mixed up. Between, so, the cannibals, the father was dirty with curly black hair. And the son was dirty with curly black yeah, they, hair Yeah, they both look well. the exact same. They both looked exactly the same. I found it very confusing. So the son joins Michael Berryman, the bold one, and he bites the head off a budgie and then tells Michael Berryman that he's not man enough mm-hmm. and he um, forces himself on the young daughter. Um, two in the, then the two uh, cannibals try to take the oldest daughter's baby but are stopped by the oldest daughter and the mother who have returned. Mm -hmm. Uh, A scuffle ensues and the oldest daughter and mother are both shot and the baby is taken. 
the young daughter is saved by the gun running out of bullets, basically, isn't he? He tries to shoot her, but... Um, the moustache son-in-law does his best, the best Jennifer Love Hewitt impression. Starts shouting, what do you want? Why are you doing this? To the, to the sky, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, uh, the cannibal family discuss eating the baby. <laughs> the missing dog sees... Now, this was confusing because this is another son of the cannibal family. This one. Mercury. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, his distingu- distinguishing feature is that he wears a lot of feathers. So he's on lookout duties, but the dog finds him and pushes him off the, the rocks to his death. Uh-huh. Um, and then we find out that the old lady, the, the mother, isn't actually dead. And she starts talking some shit. And the, the actor was particularly bad in this scene, I have, to, I have to say. I have no idea what she was going on about. Uh, the battery dies in the trailer and the lights go out. We get a nice fake jump scare when the dog returns. <laughs> um, this su- <laughs> this super dog has brought a walkie-talkie back with him as well, which is how the cannibal family um, communicate. Communicate. Thank you. Uh, the cannibal dad tells the burnt corpse of the the father of the family about himself for some reason. <laughs> I think maybe this was the trying to comment on class. Mm-hmm. I think this moment, but. Hmm. Um, it's now daylight and uh, Mustache son-in-law and the dog go running through the hills to get the baby back. Uh, the mum is officially dead now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So she died overnight. Uh, the gay son tells uh, his sister to keep it down, even though she was sexually assaulted. <laughs> She's like really fucking dealing with some trauma and all he did was shut up, shut up. Um... <laughs> They're trolled on the radio by Michael Berryman, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> on their radio. Uh, the, the youngest daughter decides to... Uh, what does she decide to do? Oh, set up some traps because she's into survival. She so she's like, oh, do you know what? Fuck it, let's get them. Uh, the dog is set off by Mustache son-in-law and he finds Michael Berryman and attacks him. Uh, the... Cannibal dad instructs his dirty son to kill the baby, but the dirty daughter manages to run away with the baby. Mm-hmm. So, so throughout, she was sort of the uh, cannibal that we liked. She she was against everything that was happening, wasn't she? She was. She gives moustache son-in-law the baby and they flee. Uh, the gay son and his sister set up the corpse of their mother on a chair outside the trailer. Uh, the dog returns to finish off Michael Berryman, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, the cannibal dad goes up to the mum's corpse, but it's a trap, and he's pulled by the feet closer to the trailer. Not quite all the way, but closer. He's absolutely fuming and chases the siblings to the trailer, but it's another trap, and as the siblings escape and the, dirty da- the cannibal dad enters, it explodes... But Cannibal Dad isn't even dead for some reason. Yeah, I, I, I really don't know why he hasn't got a mark <laughs> on him. Uh, he, was, he was already really dirty before yeah. anyway, so it's hard to tell if there's any smoke on him. Um, and he attacks the gay son and, um, until the, the daughter hits him with an axe 
and the, the son shoots him. Um, the cannibal son is chasing Mustache and his sister through the hills. A scuffle ensues, resulting in the dirty daughter killing the dirty son with a rattlesnake. <laughs> and Mustache going overkill with a knife. The yes. end. Wow. Um, that was something. <laughs> what? <laughs> what was wrong with that? The gay cunt. <laughs> it was a mispronunciation. Okay. So on to 2006. <laughs> Have you got like actual names for people? Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> I struggle so much. We get a title card explaining about nuclear tests and the fallout from them. And we are shown scientists exploring the area who are killed by the mutants of any opening minutes. And that's when we get the opening credits with the actual pictures of the deformities and such. And some footage of uh, nuclear testing. So it, it opens a little differently um, to the original. But then we're back to the gas station with the same gas station attendant that you see in the original. Obviously a different actor. And uh, he doesn't want any more to do with the people that he's talking to. He's just talking to himself, seemingly. The family arrive to get gas. They're on the way to California. In the original, did you mention... Um, I can't remember, did you mention that's where all the stars live? No. Yeah, because that's why they're going there. They're going because that's where all the stars live. I thought it was because it was their 25th anniversary. That as well, but also because that's where all the stars live. Oh. Not in this version, but you know, still their anniversary in this version. And uh, they've got no mobile signal because this is modern day. They've got no mobile signal at all. Yeah, it still looks like the 70s, though. I quite like how they did that. Uh, someone, uh, Bobby, the gay son, he's having a piss in one of the shack things. I don't know what you call them. Like the little wooden... Just now, it's outdoor toilet. Outdoor toilet. I don't know what you call uh, them. He's having a piss and someone's watching him, but he doesn't know who. He blames his sister for some reason. <laughs> Uh, the gas station attendant gives some sketchy directions, so instead of warning against it this time around, he is luring them to their death. Yes. And uh, they drive away, and some spikes are thrown out onto the road, causing the car to crash, so it wasn't a rabbit this time around. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a, a little more... I, I think because it's, it's set up, mm-hmm. I think that's a little scarier. It is. You know? It is. There was no guarantee they were going to even crash in the first one. They then put a fucking rabbit in the middle of the road. Well, that's the thing. If he just ran over that rabbit, could have had dinner and survived. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have been dinner. So, so Sorry for any animal lovers out there. <laughs> uh, Big Bob and Doug go looking for some help. Doug being the son-in-law. Big Bob being the dad. Ted Levine. They, they obviously say prayers as, as of the original before they go. The mum has still got an obsession with cock. <laughs> Someone's watching them through some binoculars, and uh, Beauty the dog runs away. Bobby finds her dead and falls over, and Ruby, in this version, finds him and just looks at his body for a while, uh, whilst a cat, uh, whilst a mutant starts eating a dog. Off the bone, straight up. Yeah. Uh, Doug finds an abandoned uh, hole, <laughs> a, a big... Massive hole in the middle of the desert with loads of cars abandoned and burnt out, obviously from the nuclear testing. Uh, there's, a, there's a teddy bear there that he grabs and loads of other useless shit that he grabs and takes back with him. Bib Bob goes to the gas station. He finds a finger in a takeaway box. 
at the gas station. <laughs> Looking in. And newspaper articles about nuclear testing. And the gas station guy in this version doesn't bother trying to shoot Big Bob. He just shoots his own face off in a very graphic way. <laughs> Uh, after this, a mutant smashes uh, Big Bob's head against the car that he gets inside and takes him away on a cart. Bobby goes back to the trailer. Doug comes back. Beast finds uh, Beauty. And uh, Pluto arrives and goes inside the trailer, or caravan as we'll call it here in the UK. Uh, after this, uh, he watches Brenda, the younger daughter. Uh, Pluto does, the, the bold mutant. Bobby tells Lynn and Doug about beauty and this time around explains that he didn't say anything because he was worried and didn't want to upset the mum. Yeah, at least there's a fucking explanation in this one. <laughs> um, and they're not having, like, they're not having sex in the car either. Not with their clothes off, anyway. <laughs> so having a bit of dry humping. Oh, yeah. Uh, Big Bob is set on fire. And this time around, uh, Scruffy's son is called Lizard, and he goes inside the trailer as soon as everyone leaves. He eats the bird, as with the original, and perves on uh, Brenda a bit. And then Lynn comes back, who is the uh, the older daughter, uh, who has a baby, Doug's girlfriend. And uh, she has a fight with Lizard. She tries fighting back. He points the gun at the baby. And uh, licks her face, rips the top open, um, essentially sexually assaulting her. He the the sh- mum, not the baby. Yeah, the mum. Yeah. Shoots the, uh, he, he the mum of the family when she comes back in. Limbs stabs him in the leg and he shoots her. And they escape with the baby. Uh, a top hat mutant is uh, killed by Beast. And Beast brings back, not just the radio this time around, he brings an arm back with him as well. Makes a little more sense to why a dog would bring back an arm rather than a walkie-talkie. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's true. The next day, it's daylight, and Doug and Beast are going on the hunt. They find a small town, and uh, whilst they're doing this, Brenda and Bobby are setting up a trap. Doug finds the baby and sneaks past the bold lady to go and get the baby, and he's then knocked out by the same bold lady. And after this, he wakes up in a freezer full of body parts. Come on, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, He breaks his way out, finds Big Bob's corpse with an American flag sticking through his head. Doug finds a big-headed mutant who is singing the national anthem, giving as good a performance as Fergie when she did it. And the uh, big-headed national anthem singing mutant gives some exposition as to why they're all like that, explains about the nuclear fallout. Well, he says that um, they made him, yeah, them you, like that. Basically, you, you Americans and your nuclear testing yeah. made us like this. But also because they were pushed to the outskirts of yeah. society because of the way they looked. Uh-huh. So Pluto attacks Doug with an axe and Beast attacks Pluto in, in turn. Pluto cuts uh, some of Doug's fingers off with, uh, with an axe. Doug stabs Pluto in the foot, then stabs him through the neck with a screwdriver, and then shoves the flag through his. Oh no! Rib, rib. He stabs him in the foot. Oh my god! He stabs him in the foot with a screwdriver. Stabs him through the fl- through the throat with the American flag from Big Bob's head, and then gives him an axe to the head. So I didn't quite catch that. Can you repeat that? No. 
Doug kills uh, a headpiece mutant. <laughs> just walking around with a headpiece on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was just wandering around dragging bodies about. Uh, Big headed mutant uh, gives Lizard the instructions to kill the baby, and Beast is not having this, so he kills the big headed mutant. Ruby takes the baby and runs, uh, replaces it with a pig to fool uh, Lizard. She runs away with the baby. Uh, Bobby finds uh, a mutant eating his mum and uh, chases him back, and the mutant chases him back to the trailer. They get him inside and they set off the exploding trailer in turn thinking they've killed him. Lizard and Doug have a scrap. Uh, Doug shoots Lizard. Ruby gives the baby to Doug. Lizard come back to, comes back to life. Ruby launches herself at him and sacrifices herself, pushing herself and Lizard off the cliff. They both die. Brenda gives uh, the burner mutant an axe to the head when, the, uh, when he comes back to life. Pickaxe to the head. And they have their uh, family reunion. But they're still being watched by someone with binoculars. Yeah, and that's not followed up in the No, sequel, no, it's it? the, the army in the sequel for some reason. Uh, yeah, so that is Hills of Us 2006. So on to our comparisons. Yes. Starting with cinematography, scares, soundtrack, and for this episode, kills. Because it is relevant for this episode. I think, uh, I think the remake, if I'm being honest, in terms of style, um, cinematography, it looks a lot sleeker, cleaner, mm-hmm. um, less sort of rough. And I, I know sometimes with horror films, we, we, we like them a bit grainy, a bit more gritty. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I preferred the remakes. Yeah, I mean, the original looks like a 70s grindhouse film. Yeah. You know, it looks amateur, it looks gritty. Whereas the the remake, you can tell, it's been very well shot, had way more thought put into it um, with, with, the, with the cinematography and such. Uh, you know, it, it gives, it, it looks cleaner for me. It still gives you that, you know, sweaty, exhausting feeling of uh, yes, the desert. Very um, sweaty. Yeah, uh, there's there's some films that are sweaty and, and the Hills of Eyes, both of them really, but more so the the remake, very sweaty film, mm. which works. Yeah, and, and you know, a, a lot of what happens, only one big event really happens in the dark. A lot of what happens is during the daytime, and when you're making horror during the day, you know, you, you have to make it in a certain way for it to work, and and it does, you know, the, the way this is made, it's it's very. It's very Arja. It's it's very what he does. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, you can tell this is the same director as Switchblade Romance. There's a nice style to it. Yeah. That I appreciated. Um, the scares and the kills. Now, I mean, it's difficult because I mean, I watched the remake first before I watched the original. Um, and even when I watched the original after, I, I still enjoyed it, but I still felt a little underwhelmed in comparison to the remake because. The main scares come from the scene in the trailer when they break in because essentially it's home invasion, yeah. But in a caravan, yeah. Um, and the main scares, the main scares come within that scene. And Michael Berryman does a fantastic job, and so does uh, so does Lance Gordon who plays Mars. But I think it's very. It feels a little shorter compared to the remake, and I think the remake. Felt more, all bets are off. 
Yeah, I think in terms... I think that the real comparison, scares-wise, is the cannibal family themselves. Yeah. And for me, in the original, too much time is put on them. Yeah. There are moments with them that are almost comical. Yeah. Um, and, and their outfits and everything, they don't look They look scary. like just normal people, but dirty. Yeah. Um... Whereas in the remake, less time is spent on them. They're not humanised as much. Mm -hmm. And they look super duper creepy. Yeah. You know? And that adds to it so much. Mm. And we, you know, whenever we do an original versus remake, we normally say about how you don't need... You don't need your backstory. You don't need things to be more over the top. Uh, You know, like how the vampires are more over the top in Fright Night than in the original. But in this case... It works. It works that they're more over the top. It works that we know why they're like this. Why? Once we have that backstory that we begin with, and we get the small bit of exposition with from the big-headed guy. Yeah, and but you had that in the original. You had the old man saying he was a very naughty yeah. boy, so I left him out in the desert. But that's the thing. That that's the thing. It it didn't. It still didn't feel like it was enough. It didn't feel like there was a lot. No. Whereas this, it makes it clear. You make sure you're aware that these are just people who have been a victim of this nuclear fallout. Yeah. You know, it, it's... Um, I think it does it so much better. And like I said, in this instance, the makeup and everything to make them look more over the top, it works. Yes, yeah. Yeah, fortunately, the um, special effects are very good. And they, they look great. You know, obviously they look grotesque, but that's great for a yeah. horror film. It's 98% uh, practical effects, I'd say, this film. And yeah. uh, maybe even 99%. And that's good because, you, I mean, this is released in the 2000s. This could have easily been a, a massive CGI fest. They could yeah. have been fucking CGI mutants. Um, oh, God. You but, you know, Aja is a, is, is a director that, you know, has a love for the genre and that shows by the fact that he is putting in practical effects. He's putting in that extra time and effort to get these people to sit in their makeup for hours on end so he can make a film that actually looks like a proper good horror film, doesn't look cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kills, obviously, f- the remake by far. The, the, the Kills... It's weird because the kills come in two forms. You've got the mutant kills. Yes. And you've got um, the mum and Lynn. Now, in the original, as Chris said, the mum's acting is a little, a little iffy. Uh, Dee Wallace is great. You know, her death was a little more impactful. But in the remake, honestly, when I first watched it, as soon as they went in the trailer, my stomach sank. But when they shot the mum, oh my God. It was just such a shock. Because obviously I, I hadn't seen the original. And it was so... It felt... You know, I actually felt it. I, I was like, Jesus Christ. You, you get to know these people. And it's more of a heavy blow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's how we can divide the kills up. Into kills that look great. Mm. And are very gory. Which, you know, we enjoy as horror fans. But then the kills that actually mean something. And make yeah. you feel something. Yeah. And I, I feel like in the original... When the oldest daughter is killed, you know, we felt bad. But I think we felt bad because she was Dee Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> we love yeah. Dee Wallace. Rather than in the remake where 
because it spent less time on the cannibal family, mm. and I think the film's a little lengthier anyway, isn't it? It is, it's 15 minutes longer. Yeah, because we've spent less time with the cannibal family and more time with the family that we need yeah. to feel stuff mm-hmm. for, it is way more impactful. Yeah. And because it's more violent, she gets shot in the head mm-hmm. in the remake. Um, it's more, it's way more impactful. Yeah. And I think I think so because I mean these are characters that you've been built up to like from the get go, mm-hmm. and then seeing them die in such a graphic way as well, it just adds a certain sense of realism to it as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. It, very very well made that that entire sequence. Um, I mean, I, and of course you know it has the whole sexual assault things because. The original had sexual assault in it. That was it was filmed, but in the in the in the final cut, it was only implied. Really, yeah, yeah. This goes a little more in depth, but still doesn't go over the top. Which, as you know, if you listen to previous episodes, you know, we much prefer it that way. You know, it's still got the impact there, that effect of knowing it's happening. Yeah. But it doesn't show you everything. No, and and we recently spoke about Chained Heat. It's not like Chained Heat. It's not um, made to... It's not exploitative. It's not exploitative. It's not there to titillate. It's there to repulse. Yeah. You know, and it does that, you know, effectively. Yeah. Uh, The soundtrack. So... Honestly, I was listening out for the soundtrack in the original and I kept forgetting because it didn't stand out to me. No. The soundtrack in the remake, I wasn't even trying and it stood out to me. It The whole guitar thing, I, I'm a, I, I prefer synth soundtracks myself, but it works in this. It, it fits what it's going for. It fits the visuals and everything and the surroundings. Yeah, yeah it fits the time as well. Yeah, yeah. So, I, th- I think, yeah, yeah. All four of those, we will give to the remake. And we've got a sound effect on the cues. Oh, yeah, we've got to the remake. Is that a boo or a cheer? That's a cheer. That's a cheer. Oh, oh wow, that, that goes on for a while. Is yeah, it still, is it still going? Jesus. Please don't start that shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, stop! Okay, that's how it stops. Apologies um, for that loud cheering. Everyone's really happy that we chose the remake, clearly. <laughs> On to characters. Big Bob. Played by Russ Greve in 1977 and Ted Levine in 2006. Uh, well, one of them... Well, it's hard, to be fair. Um, because he drops the N-word in the original... But he's also a gun-toting Republican in the remake. Yeah. So I don't think we're meant to like him. Uh, I think, obviously, Ted Levine is a fantastic actor. Uh, Silence of the Lambs is my favourite film. So uh, it it was nice to see him in in anything. So Mm -hmm. I'd have to give it to the remake. Yeah, for performance-wise, definitely. I mean, the character-wise, it didn't do much. Um, No, no. It's less impactful when he dies compared to other people, I found. Yeah, because he's a gun toting Republican. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Ethel, oh, we like who... to say that. Uh, <laughs> well, you've said it. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to be. I ain't editing it. Ethel, who is the Ethel? Ethel. Her name is never said once. So. Ethel. 
the mother. Is that her name in both films? Yeah. Uh, Ethel's an old lady name. I mean, she's the oldest lady in the cast. Yeah, but I mean, she's she's an old lady in the original, but she's what? <laughs> Barely fifty in the remake. <laughs> Well, it's the mum of the family, and uh, she played by Virginia Vincent in 1977 and Kathleen Quinlan in 2006. Of course, uh, as we've already said, you know, Kathleen Quinlan definitely gets a better... Uh, yes, a much better performance. Like the scenes... In a horrifically ugly t-shirt, awful yeah. <laughs> pink t-shirt, and I don't know what the design is, but it's like a rectangle in the middle. It looks like something... A- 14-year-old would have worn in 2006. Wow, reading it's a filth. Sorry. Shall I get my sound effect to clap you? No. <laughs> it's still a shade button from Drag Race, though. Virginia Vincent can't play dead. <laughs> she can't play alive. Well, she can't play dying and she can't play dead. Uh, she, uh... Bless her. Bless her heart. I'm glad you got that in there. Um, so, <laughs> when she dies in 1977 uh, version... <laughs> you can see her eyes moving. Okay, she, you can see her breathing. Yeah. She's not even trying. Well, that's she's an old lady. You can't have her hold her breath for ten minutes. No, especially in that heat as well. Uh, yeah, exactly. Bless her. But Kathleen Quinlan does a fantastic job. Yeah, she's yeah, she does a better job. Let's be fair. Yes. Yeah, so we didn't get to see her, fix- her fixation with cock explored further, sadly, but we'll still give it to Kathleen Quinlan. Was she in... Was she the one that was in um, Event Horizon? Yes. Ah, and she was okay. in that random film we watched at Fright Fest with uh, the mirror. Yes, she was. Parallel. So, Bobby, the gay son, or the gay cunt, as Chris called him earlier. Stop. Played by Robert Houston in 1977 and Dan Bird in 2006. Robert Houston was a gay actor. And Dan Bird played another gay character in Easy A. This is no coincidence. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a bit camp in both. Um, I really appreciated his uh, outfit in the remake. Very 2006. <laughs> both, char- both of them are signs of the times for both eras. Oh, absolutely. You've got his short shorts in the short original. And his baggy jeans in the remake. His By... fucking long t-shirt and t-shirt over the top. Yes. Well, it's in the desert. Um... <laughs> Not really the right place to be wearing that, you know, clothing like that. But anyway, did he have a chain on his jeans? I didn't... Oh, he should have had a chain on his jeans. Baggy boxers on that you can see at all times. And a Fallout Boy <coughs> CD in his back pocket. Of course. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Robert Houston's amusing to watch because of his high dramatics. And they are high dramatics. And his high camp. Um, he, he just looks like he's having a tantrum. <laughs> All tight. Yes, he really does. <laughs> um, I think I'd have to give it to the remake again. He, he gives more of a grounded performance. It's yeah. more realistic. But also just because he actually explains himself. Yeah. Why he pretty much put everyone to death by not warning them. I mean, that's down to good this. writing, but... Yeah, I see what you mean. I mean... The character. He, the character. <laughs> Well, I mean, Dan Bird just he he gives emotion and everything. I I don't think I've seen any emotion from Robert Houston. We did, <laughs> but it was all melodramatic. Yeah, just sign of the times, isn't it? So, congratulations, Dan Bird. Um, you are our favorite gay son. Doug, 
Martin Mustache Spear in 1977 and Aaron Stanford, who is Iceman in X-Men in 2006. Uh, they both give good performances. I think they I think they both give decent performances. Aaron Stanford's a little better because he get he has more to do. Oh, he has like a the lot third more act, to the, do. The, the, the entire new third act that's put there specifically for the remake was there for him. That's yeah. basically it. it was written for him. He's pretty much the action hero yeah. slash final girl, really. Um, so he has a lot more to do. Yeah. Uh, in the remake, so. It, for me, he wins because of that. Yeah. He's a more fully fleshed out character. Yeah. And he redeems himself. Because at the start, it was questionable how likeable he is. He comes across as a little arrogant. and But then by the time you get to that third act, you're rooting for him. Yeah. And he's Democrat as well, isn't he? Yes. And uh, next up, we have his girlfriend, Lynn, who is betrayed by the fantastic D. Wallace in 1977. And Vanessa Shaw in 2006. Now, Vanessa Shaw is also a bit of a queen as well. She's from Hocus Pocus. She is. So... Another previous star of the podcast. Yeah. What in? Oh, Home, Home Sweet, Sweet Home. Home. Oh, my God. Very young in Home Sweet Home. <laughs> um, I think they both do well. I mean, yeah. Dee Wallace is Dee Wallace. We love her, and I love seeing her on screen. And yeah, and they're, they're both given about the same amount of screen time really yeah and i mean if i was to say vanessa shaw it would only be because her death was more impactful yeah performance wise before that i'd put them two on a par pretty much i think in terms of um direct comparisons between characters these are very much similar i think they go through the same story um pretty much the same kind of dialogue yeah and they have the same ending. At Which the same is time. It's something that this film does is it takes dialogue from the original, mm. so you know it's it's still trying to be faithful to the original whilst it's still doing the same thing. And that's what a good remake should do. Yeah. In the sense of remaking a film that needs a remake. Yeah. You know, taking what's already there. Yeah. So you're not losing any of it better. Yeah, you're not losing any of what was good about the original. Yeah. So you could literally just watch the remake and be satisfied. Yeah. I know that you know. Obviously, we want to support you know, films, you know, like Hills of Eyes, and support Wes Craven, but you could just watch the remake. Yeah. And be done. Um, so, and also, this was really the only cast member, Dee Wallace was the only cast member that went on to bigger things. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, Robert Houston. Robert Houston. Pose, yeah. Well, he he ended up winning an Oscar. Yeah. So he I, acting wise after acting he he went into filmmaking and uh, was nominated and also won uh, Oscar for best documentary short subject. Yeah. I act acting wise though. Yeah, acting D- wise. D- Wallace. She's the only one that made a real career yeah. as an actor. To be fair. Brenda, who is played by, I'm going to try to say it again, Susie Lanier Bramlett in 1977 and Emily Raven in 2006. They don't like casting an actress with a simple name, do they, for this character? <laughs> um, this is a difficult one because I think they both do a good job. Yeah, I think this one could be judged more on the trauma side of things. Yeah. Um, which they both did a good job of. Yeah. Um... 
in the remake, I think Emily had more to work with again. Yeah. But at the same time, in the original, the actress really did a, a really good job of uh, of acting like she was traumatised after. Yeah, yes, yeah, she did. She probably was traumatised. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Watching it. If, uh, if the, the stories are, are right about them filming yeah. the actual um, I, sexual assault. I think, again, I think this is another tie for me because I can't decide between the two because they both did a fantastic job. Yeah, yeah. Um. I mean, as far as the original goes, where all the acting, you know, where a lot of cast doesn't do the best of jobs, you know, she was definitely a standout, her and Dee Wallace. Yeah. So, yes, we'll, we'll give that another tie. You're both winners. You're all winners here. Yeah, I think what you have to remember <laughs> is that the original is a low-budget film yeah. in the 70s. You know, they're not going to get big stars um, or they're not going to get genre stars you know to to go in it Mm -hmm. you know seven and three quarters of a million in 1977 Uh and then 15 million in 2000 you are going to get kathleen quinlan who was an oscar nominated actress Mm. you are going to get ted levine who was in the most successful horror film of all time you know or one definitely You, you can get those with 15 million dollars yeah so, moving on to the mutants slash inbred cannibals, I've only brought up the main three. So, you got Ruby, who was played by uh, Janus, Janus, I don't know, Blythe in 1977, and Laura Ortiz in 2006. Uh, 2006 is more believable for me. Might I say 1977 was a little too beautiful, and it really... Could you could see that no matter yeah. how much dirt you put on her, yeah. you could tell you could tell she was an attractive actress. Yeah, so it was a little hard to take her seriously. It, it was to be fair. Um, yeah, she just kind of looked like somebody going on a uh, Halloween, dressed as a cave girl. Yeah, yeah, you know, a sexy cave girl. Yeah, whereas Laura Ortiz, genuinely, her makeup and everything, she actually looked deformed. She was giving, she was serving me um, dwarf from Don't Look Now. Yeah. Including the red yeah. coat, which must have been fucking boiling in that desert. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the character as well, um, the fact she sacrificed herself at the end to save this family. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, um, that was, yeah, she, she made the ultimate sacrifice to save the family. She doesn't get introduced to the rest of the family at the end like the alternative ended of the original. No. <laughs> but then also in the original, she looks like she's straight out of a, you know, modelling uh, yeah. poster. Whereas in the in the remake, I don't think they're really going to introduce her to society. No. <laughs> um, unfortunately. We need to see the, the original sequel where she gets her own film. That's basically what it is. Really? It's her trying to live a normal life. Is that true? (laughs) Yeah. Did you not know that? No. (laughs) Oh. Yeah, it's her trying to lead a normal life into a new name. (laughs) As a top fashion model. As a top fashion model. Um, Mars, also known as Lizard in the remake. is the only character that has a different name in the remake. Played by Lance Gordon in nineteen seventy seven and Robert Joy in two thousand and six. Robert Joy was fucking disgusting in this role. 
He was what? really repulsive. He uh, was it's a, there's slimy. A teeth hanging out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's the sexual assault guy who put a gun at a baby. He, he was a despicable character. He, he does. He, he actually puts in a really good performance. Yeah. Goes to the wall, hams it up, which mm-hmm. is necessary. Um, yeah, he does actually do really well. Yeah. He he's so disgusting that he wouldn't look out of place in a Rob Zombie film. Um, that that level. Yeah. Um, Lance Gordon. <laughs> Again, <laughs> he just looks like a guy. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he does. Hairy guy. And I kept getting him mixed up with his dad. He, he also he was on his way back from Woodstock, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> Yeah, he just looked like he'd had a, a fun weekend where there weren't any showers. Yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> Robert Joy, congratulations. Yeah, no, he did very well. Now, here's a challenge for you. Pluto. Because Michael Berryman is a fucking joy to watch in this role. He is so entertaining to watch. Yeah. Whether for the right reasons or wrong reasons, but also played by Michael Bailey Smith in 2006. I mean, as we discussed, makeup-wise, 2006 is so much better. Michael Berryman's got that charm about him. There's just something there that he, he, you like to see him in these films. Like when he pops up, it's a nice surprise. Yeah, he is. But uh, I think I think he it was almost comical. Yeah, the, but I think that's I think that's why I enjoyed show. it. I think that's what they were kind of going for. Yeah, like he was the dopey one in the film. Yeah, I mean, like you said, he he fools them into thinking he's he's the police on a walkie-talkie. Yeah, you know? yeah, he's more comical, and it it is funny. But yeah. like I said earlier. It humanises them too much. Yeah. So it doesn't work for the film overall. Even though it's great to watch because Michael Berryman is great to watch. Yeah. In the remake, this guy does not give a shit. He is not there for laughs. No. (laughs) He's fucking walking through walls. He literally smashing his way through walls as he walks through them. Throwing people about everywhere. Yeah. It's... it's, uh, Again, it's written be more over the top but it works that yeah, way absolutely um so i think for our final character award it is going to go to michael bailey smith but we, we love you michael berryman we'll uh just get that in there keep keep appearing in things because you know he's still going is he still going he is still going oh he's still i'm, I'm sure he's probably expect you know accepting little random roles here and there yeah fantastic uh so overall let's wrap this up Original is a good film. I'm not saying it's a bad film in any way whatsoever. It's got its flaws. Watch it, you know, by all means. But if you're ever stuck between the two, watch the remake. Yeah. Um, the original, very charming film. Wes Craven is always a great filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when he's making bad films. He's still a great filmmaker. Um, highly influential um, fun to watch, but the remake is a superior film. Yeah, if you, if you want a an entertaining film, an enjoyable film that you can maybe laugh at a bit, watch the original. If you want a scary movie, if you want you know a proper horror film, um, you want gore, suspense, watch the remake. Yeah, yeah. So that that is a first on this podcast where we've uh, been able to say that. Absolutely, you know. I'm, I'm not sure how many times we're going to be able to say that. No, until we watch House of Wax, of course. <laughs> I mean, I say that as a joke, but we haven't seen the original yet, so who knows. Um, yeah, I mean, other than The Hills of Eyes, whatever. I mean, The Invisible Man is better than the original. 
Yeah, that's true. Um, that'd be a very interesting comparison. Is it a remake or is it a retelling a, of the same novel? It's classed as a remake. It's classed yeah. as a remake. But, I mean... It's hard to tell sometimes, we, we, isn't it? You have so many different versions of Dracula. Yeah. But it's all from the novel. Mm. So, do they count as remakes? Yeah. Well, those are all topics for future episodes. For now, I want to hear your favourite and least favourite films you've watched this month. So, my favourite... Oh, no, I'm going to start with least favourite. Let's end on a positive. So, my least favourite film that we watched this month is Mountaintop Motel Massacre. Spoiler alert, that's mine too. Uh, Boring shit. Um... Barely even a fucking supposed film. supposed slasher supposed classic slasher classic, um for anyone unfamiliar um eighty eight films who released some decent films we've watched a lot of good films from yeah, this absolutely. week absolutely um but they released a series of Blu rays called the slasher classics, um and they used the term classics very very loosely. This was released by Slasher Classics, and it is absolutely no way a classic. No. The, the artwork is uh, an older lady with amazing eye makeup, eyeshadow, everywhere. Um, and the tagline is, don't disturb Evelyn, she already is. It looks entertaining as hell. It, it looks so much fun. It looked like a exploitation slasher film. Mm. It, it looked like it could have been so great. It was not. No. It no. was nothing. It it was so boring. And lame and cheap. It just and nothing happened. Nothing happened. I was so bored. And also, speaking of boring and nothing happening, we've already discussed it, but Killing Birds also has to be... We have to give that an honourable mention. Honourable mention. We, we covered it in our last podcast episode, but it was fucking dire. Yeah. Um... And then, At least Mouse and Top Motor Massacre has those two girls that kept singing that reggae song. They did keep singing that reggae song. <laughs> um, and then, sort of, not quite bottom of the barrel, but um, One Dark Night was rather boring, <laughs> wasn't it? Yes. Um, that Terrifier. Terrifier was quite... An unpopular opinion, I apparently. wasn't a huge fan of. Return to Horror High, <laughs> that was very dull. And uh, also another slasher classic, mm-hmm. Sweet Sixteen. Yeah. Which, soundtrack aside, <laughs> was um, fucking stupid. Yeah? Yeah, really, really fucking stupid. Um, it's... I don't know what it was trying to be. Uh, it's, it's hard to say what I didn't like about it without giving spoilers. Um, but, yeah... <laughs> Oh, well, that's a lot. That's a lot of bad. That's a lot of bad. I hope you've got a lot of good to go with that. So my favorite <laughs> film that we watched this month, uh, for for the first time, uh, was it happened one night, the first film to win all the top five, um, Oscars. Uh huh. And it's a uh comedy from the thirties, a screwball comedy. I loved it. I thought it had bags of charm. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, we watched Tetsuo the Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Um, gave that five stars. That was fantastic. Um, I gave quite a few five stars, though, to be fair. Um, 
Truman Show we watched for the first yep. time. But what what's yours? What's on your Well, list? I've got my honourable mentions. So I've got Gaslight, uh, Mildred Pierce, uh, The Truman Show, as you mentioned, Carnival of Souls. So good. So, so good. Um, uh, we watched Tetsuo, the, I remember, we also watched a bunch of other um, Tsukamoto films and the likes of A, a Snake of June, um, Tokyo Fist, you know, all, all these fantastic films. We, we, we started off at quite a high point this month, um, for sure. The Fly is a close runner-up. Oh, my God, of it's course. A, a very close runner-up. Um, the, never watched it before, the 1980s version of no. The Fly. With Jeff Goldblum. Um, honestly, it's phenomenal. It I can't really believe I is. forgot about that. That was amazing. The, the practical effects, it had heart to it. It's, uh, David Cronenberg, you know, he created a masterpiece there for sure. It could be his best film. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, and this is from the guy who made Videodrome, which I absolutely adore Videodrome. But I, I love... Um, it's not Rabid, it's the other one. Shivers. Shivers. Yeah. Shivers I love. Yeah, and The Brood. Um, so, I mean, and another honourable mention, which I didn't quite give five stars, but very nearly gave five stars, gave it a, nine, a, a four and a half, was uh, Hitchhike, uh, Italian sleazy thriller from the 70s. Again, also released by 88 Films. Probably the best film they've released. I'd go out on a whim saying. Wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was so, so good. So intense. Um, clearly, clearly a predecessor for uh, for The Hitcher. That was clearly an inspiration, should we say. Yeah, yeah, very, that's very true. But my number one top film of the month is absolutely, without a doubt, Train to Busan. It was incredible. It was, and I, I didn't mention it in mine because I knew this would be Gary's top. It, it was... I mean, like I said, you know, we've watched Oscar-winning films this month. Um, but the, the reason it stood out for me is because I was more surprised than anything else. I mean, I knew it had quite a lot of hype, but also Terrifier had a lot of hype, and that was a massive disappointment. And we watched them both on the same day. Um, Train to Busan... It, it's, it was a very rare case that I watched a film, a two-hour film, without checking my phone once. Mm. I was gripped. From start to finish, I could not take my eyes off the screen. It had me crying at the end. It had so much heart and emotion to it. And it, the, it didn't focus on the gore for the zombies. It was the most original zombie film since the 80s, easily. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was... Very tense throughout. I yeah. was on the edge of my seat. Very emotional at times. Absolutely. Um, yeah, fantastic. Just really great filmmaking. Not just horror filmmaking. You know, it's a horror mm. film. Uh, but just really great filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. If you, haven't wait, if you haven't seen it yet, don't wait as long as we did. You know, just watch it as soon as possible. And if you're not a gore hound, yeah. it's not even no, that not, It doesn't matter what genre you like. Yeah. Watch it. You know, yeah. even if you're not a horror fan. Really? Absolutely. So, that brings us to the end of this Original versus Remake episode. If you are listening on social media, let us know which Hills of Eyes film you prefer if you haven't told us yet already. Uh, I, I know a lot, a lot of people said to me they prefer the remake um, outside of the poll. And uh, do you like The Hills of Eyes 2, Ruby's modelling story? Yeah, let us know. <laughs> Cause we we own it. We just haven't had the heart to 
watch it. Yeah, I hope it is I'm about a modelling career. So, um, it came out the same year as the Nightmare on Elm Street. It did. It did. Wes Craven made that to make a Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, they forced him. <laughs> so, that's the story for another day. So, Facebook, we are Horrorcore Trash Over, and on Instagram, Horrorcore Trash on Twitter. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe, like, and follow on everything else. I am Gazmo205 on Instagram, GatsCruise92 on Twitter, DeadLightGaz92 on Letterboxd. I am uh, Gaycon, uh, excuse me, uh, Chris Barker yes, you are. 823 <laughs> on Instagram, Letterboxd, and Twitter. And on Tuesday, we'll be back starting off uh, the month of August with our first summer camp slasher, which is the theme we are going for this month. Yes, it's getting hotter outside. It's fucking boiling in here. Yeah. So we're doing summer camp slashes. Yes. And first up, we will be talking about Madman from mm. the 80s. Oh, they're all from the 80s, let's face it. Yeah, Majority. Much. All the good ones. Yes. Uh, we'll be covering six films off the top of my head within this uh, time period. And if you're wondering how we're doing that within four weeks, you'll have to just... Wait and see. Ooh. So we will see you on Tuesday. Bye.